Welcome to this week's episode of the Photo Detective Podcast. I'm Maureen Taylor, the Photo Detective. I'm beyond thrilled to let you know that my book, Family Photo Detective, has been updated and re-released for 2023. In fact, it's been out of print for a number of years, so I am pretty excited about having it back in print. My book is the easiest way to unlock the secrets behind your family photos by helping figure out key elements and how you can identify more about your family through pictures. You can find it on my website at MaureenTaylor.com. It's right on the front page, so you can't miss it. And it's available in both ebook and print formats. Welcome to Ask Maureen, where we cover historical image analysis, genealogy, and how to work with your family photo collection. I'm Maureen Taylor, the photo detective, and I'll try to answer your questions. In response to her husband talking about men's wartime decisions, Abigail Adams supposedly said, when I go to the cupboard and I find no coffee, no sugar, no pims, no meat, am I not living politics? These words were spoken by actress Laura Linney as Abigail Adams in the HBO series based on David McCullough's biography of John Adams. If you want to watch the clip, I've included it in the show notes. Our female ancestors were involved in the Revolutionary War. They played crucial roles during the war. They followed their men, caring for them daily. They kept businesses solvent and farms functioning while their men were away. Most of their contributions are unknown because so many women didn't speak of their service. Some even raised up the musket. Margaret Corbin was severely wounded during the British assault on Fort Washington in November 1776 and left for dead. But she didn't die, and she was awarded a pension after the war. She was the first, but not the last woman, to receive one. There are 27 women included in my last muster series. I'd like to talk with you about three of them in this podcast. A recognized patriot, a woman who chose sides, and one who married a veteran. Let's start with Elizabeth Caldwell Gillum of South Carolina. A daguerreotype of Gillum is in the collections of the South Carolina Historical Society. It shows a frail, well-dressed elderly woman. But the image doesn't reflect the strength of her heroic actions during the Revolutionary War that earned her the distinction of being a female patriot, along with her mother, Rebecca Parks Caldwell. More than a dozen women have joined the Daughters of the American Revolution by proving a relationship to either mother and or daughter. The Caldwells were recognized for their heroic efforts while they were still alive. Rebecca Park married Major William Caldwell in 1724, and they moved from Ireland to Virginia in 1749. The couple had ten children, of which Elizabeth was the youngest daughter. She was born in Lunenburg County, Virginia in 1757. When William died in approximately 1760, Rebecca moved her family to South Carolina. 
The actions of mother and daughter assisted in the escape of James Cresswell, a patriot sought by South Carolina Tories. After his escape, he became a colonel in the Continental Army. All four of her brothers served in the military during the war. In 1781, the 24-year-old Elizabeth found her brother, Major James Caldwell, murdered and his home burned by Bloody Bill William T. Cunningham, a notorious Tory partisan leader. In 1775, Cunningham had originally joined the South Carolina militia, but he was found guilty of an unidentified offense and whipped. He turned against the Patriot cause to hunt down and kill men who supported the revolution. After the war, Elizabeth married veteran Robert Gillum in 1784. They also had 10 children, but only three of them lived to adulthood. According to her pension claim for widow's benefits, her husband served as a private sergeant and a captain with the South Carolina troops under Captain John Wallace and his father, Major Robert Gillum, as well as Colonels Williamson and Andrew Pickens. He'd participated in attacks against the Cherokee and served in the battles of Stone Ferry, Musgrove's Mills, Blackstocks, and Cowpens. She was awarded a pension on February 20, 1855, under the Act of July 7, 1838. She first applied for a pension on October 3, 1845, and at the time, Senator John C. Calhoun stated that she was his aunt. This influential statesman was likely helpful in her appeal for a pension. She was awarded a pension to begin March 4, 1848, and end on December 29, 1851, of $127. However, the pension certificate wasn't awarded until 1855, two years after her death. Her surviving children collected the pension. Earlier this year, I released a film that I'd worked on with Verissima Productions of Somerville, Massachusetts. The subject of the film was Molly Ferris Aiken. She's a fascinating character. An old Aiken Family Association newsletter mentioned Molly Ferris Aiken. Did the young Quaker woman really sneak into the British encampment and fire a musket? If so, then she supposedly alerted the Americans to their location in Pauling, New York. The pieces of her story weren't all in one place. So, Verissima Productions and I traveled to Dartmouth, Massachusetts. Pauling, New York, and to coastal Maine, tracking down the clues. Watch the film. I've included the link in the show notes. Tell me what you think. Did she or didn't she? Many young women married older Revolutionary War veterans, and one of them was Esther Damon. By the time Esther Damon died 127 years after the first shots at Lexington and Concord, this daughter of the American Revolution member had the distinction of being the last living Revolutionary War widow. Born in 1814, her maiden name was Sumner, she grew up in a tiny Plymouth Union, Vermont, listening to the Revolutionary War stories told by her maternal grandfather, William Thompson. 
In her early 20s, another veteran, elderly Noah Damon, courted her, sharing his own tales of serving during the war. He also mentioned that he was financially stable. Esther's father, Justice Sumner, died when she was eight, leaving her and her mother, Elizabeth, without financial support. Esther worked during the summer and attended school in the winter, and at 17, the town of Plymouth Union hired her to teach. Four years later, she'd met Damon in Bridgewater, Vermont, where she was working in the home of local resident Seth Fletcher. He'd moved to the area in somewhere around 1832-33 after the death of his wife. Two weeks after their first meeting, Esther and Noah were husband and wife, married in a ceremony in the home of her employer. Sabina Spaulding, a minister of the gospel, officiated. As his wife, Esther would, upon his death, qualify for a pension under the Pension Act of June 1832 that provided for widows and children. It is unknown how many young women married older veterans. However, as of 1869, there were still 887 widows on the pension rolls. At least some of them were much younger than their husbands. When 76-year-old Noah Damon married 21-year-old Esther Sumner on September 6, 1835, the residents of the town of Bridgewater, Vermont, were surprised and perhaps displeased. Not very long after the wedding, Esther discovered that Damon was penniless, with little financial means, and the fact that Damon was unable to work due to his advanced age, the couple applied for support from the town. In the early 19th century, town councils often supplied financial aid and assistance for residents unable to care for themselves. While the town of Bridgewater decided to support Noah, they declined to do so for Esther. They declared that she was able to care for herself. So she found several jobs to provide for herself, but the town claimed her earnings to pay for Noah's maintenance. At her behest, he left Bridgewater to go live with one of his daughters in New Hampshire. When Noah finally applied for a pension at 89 years of age in 1848, he never mentioned that he still had a wife. In his pension application of 1848, Damon told the court that as a boy under 16 years of age, he'd enlisted in Milton, Massachusetts, and served for five days with the Milton Minute Company at the Battle of Lexington Concord on April 19, 1775. A year later, he was drafted for three months' service with General George Washington's army, serving in the New York City area. He received a bayonet wound in his right thigh and used the scar as proof of service for the pension. He testified that he'd served several more times in a variety of capacities, including participating in the Battle of Newport, Rhode Island, 1778. When he died on July 2, 1854, Esther Damon became a widow eligible for a pension. The 39-year-old Esther hired an attorney to help her with her 1855 pension claim. Her mother, Elizabeth Frink, testified about her daughter's marriage to Damon, his inability to support her, and the actions of the town. Esther's petition for a pension was successful, and she was awarded $80 per year. In 1868, it was increased to a mere $96 a year. Esther never remarried. If she had, she'd been ineligible for her widow's pension. She moved with her mother to Plymouth, Vermont. 
According to the 1860 federal census, Esther listed her personal worth as $250. By 1880, with her mother deceased, Esther had taken in an elderly boarder to help with her expenses. She eventually lived with another local widow, a Mrs. Snow, until that woman's death in 1903. In October 1904, at the age of 90, she applied to become a member of the Wallingford Palestoro chapter of the Daughters of the American Revolution through her grandfather Thompson's service. As proof of his service, she used the inscription on his headstone, William Thompson, October 1830, age 79, a soldier of the Revolution. She was officially approved in November 1904. In the same year, her fellow DAR members sought further compensation for her from the Vermont legislature. In a special act passed in Vermont, Damon is referred to as the last surviving widow of a revolutionary soldier. She was awarded $200. In addition, she received a dollar per month from every DAR chapter in the state of Vermont. On the federal level, the Committee of Pensions under Congress increased her pension of $24 per month because of her distinction of being the sole surviving widow pensioner of the Revolutionary War. Esther Damon died on November 11, 1906. I'd love to find more images of women who had a connection to the American Revolution. Perhaps you can help me track down images of the following women who, like Esther, married veterans. Nancy Weatherman a resident of Lineback, Tennessee, in 1898. She was 88 at the time. Nancy Jones. In 1898, she resided in Jonesboro, Tennessee, and was 84. Mary Sneed. She was living in 1898 in Parksley, Virginia. Rebecca Mayo is the only one that I actually know a photo exists, and that's because in 1904... A photo of Rebecca and her Virginia home appeared in the Boston Globe. At the time, she was the other surviving widow of the Revolutionary War. I wish I could find this photograph. I know that it exists because it once appeared in the Boston Globe. How about Patty Richardson? She married a pensioner of East Bethel, Vermont in 1895. She was 93 years of age. About Ellen Lee, as of 1895, she was living in West Creek, New Jersey. All of the women I've just mentioned have one thing in common. They lived very far into the age of photography. They lived almost into the 20th century. The odds are that somewhere in someone's collection, a family member, a descendant, there are photographs of these women and I would love to see them. So if you are a descendant of any of these women, please let me know, and definitely let me know if a photograph exists. I would love to include them in The Last Monster, Volume 3. Now, if you'd like an autographed copy of either volume of My Last Muster, send me an email, and you can order the book through my store at MaureenTaylor.com. Thank you for watching and listening. You can submit your questions for future episodes using the Ask Maureen button on MaureenTaylor.com 
or through any of my social media contacts. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram as The Photo Detective and on Facebook at Maureen Photo Detective. I hope you'll come back for the next show. Don't forget to send me your questions. I'm thrilled to be offering something new. Photo Investigations. These collaborative one-on-one sessions look at your family photos. You and I meet to discuss your mystery images and find out how each clue and hint might contribute to your family history. And trust me, these images can reveal so much in your research. I have decades of experience in the photo, genealogy, and history industries. This is your chance to learn from me and discover the stories in your family images. You can find out more by going to MaureenTaylor.com and clicking on Family Photo Investigations.